We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Offsets it a little bit to the left. 11 yards shy of the record. Williams breaks a hole. Williams, hello record book. Ricky Williams runs to the Hall of Fame. Touchback. Ricky Williams, touchdown. Young from the shotgun. Back to throw. Vince looks. Under pressure. He'll tuck it in run. Vince to the five. Young. Touchdown, Texas. Touchdown, Vince Young. He's done it again. Longhorn Nation, we're back! Hello and welcome into another edition of the Longhorns Country Podcast. My name is Matt Galatson and I will be your host. And today we are back for another long overdue episode. Uh, we took a couple weeks off for signing day, early signing day, I should say. And, uh, you know, the bowl season a little bit, kind of kind of catch up on our work. But I am once again joined by John Garcia of Sports Illustrated. He is um, a good friend and the biggest recruiting expert in all the land. John, how's it going? It's going good, man. Happy uh, belated New Year! Yeah, a lot, a lot of catch up. I think that was a good, that was a good introduction by you because it has certainly been that. But uh, here we are. It's already technically the off season, although you know we don't really have one uh, and it's starting to reflect that way in, in college football. Yeah. You know, this, the season's finally come to an end. Um, early signing day is over. We're, we're turning a page sort of, we still have February signing day. Um, but most, most of the kids that we expected to sign in the early signing period, signed in the early signing period and the kids that we expected to wait are waiting. Um, and we'll, we'll kick it off there. Um, Texas had three targets, well, really four if you can if if you're counting committed players, four targets left on the board that they were really going hard after. Um, we, we won't go in any particular order as far as you know rankings or anything like that. What we'll do is we'll, we'll start with Larry Turner Gooden, who is one of their big targets. He uh, announced at the All American Game in San Antonio uh, this past weekend. And he chose the Longhorns and um, he comes in in a big position in need. You know, the, the, the secondary was a big issue for them this past season. It was a big emphasis in the 2022 class. Uh, they had a couple other players um, that, that they signed as well, including one that was in the All-American game with uh, Turner Gooden and Jalen Gilbo. So uh, talk a little bit about Turner Gooden and, and how you see him fitting in and what kind of player he is. Well, like you said, Matt, huge, huge position group uh, that, that needs an overhaul, you know, at Texas in the secondary. And, and look, you know, Larry's a safety all the way. So I don't want to 
you know, play the versatility card or anything like that. But I think the element he brings is physicality. And that is something that is sorely needed for, for every defense. But this Texas defense needs an attitude adjustment. I mean, there's really no other way to put it. So a lot of these young guys are going to have to play. I'm not saying he's a slam dunk to play in, in 2022, but the type of player he is, which is a, a physical downhill safety first who can cover. He's not totally one dimensional. Um, that type of edge, that type of grit and just style of play, which is, you know, becoming more rare and rare in today's game is important to employ at every level of the defense and the secondary obviously is the spot where you see less and less of it just because of the rules, because of uh, how the game has changed so much. So there's a bit of throwback in, in uh, Larry's game. Um, I, I do like his frame, six foot, six one, right around the 200 pound mark. So he's got room to fill out just a little bit more. So even if he does become a bit more one dimensional, he might have the frame to bulk up and play, maybe a hybrid linebacker safety spot. But again, he does have some good cover skills. I like his instincts. He comes from a good program uh, in the Los Angeles area, Bishop Alamany, which, which had a bunch of dudes over the last several years. Um, and, and I think that's an important part of this as well for Texas. You know, this is a California get in a cycle where, that's going to start to change. It's going to be harder to go into California with Lincoln Riley um, out there. But Texas has done incredible work over the long haul in California. And I think, um, and Larry, you know, Turner Gooden, outside of Malik Murphy, of course, you know, he might be the best one. He might be the best Texan or the best Californian, excuse me, you're bringing in to, to the state of, of Texas to play um, college football. So, um, a, a lot of uh, California targets, uh, a handful of commitments uh, in this class. Um, but this is an important position of need filled. This is an important position of need mentally as well. Uh, and again, you're getting into the L.A. area. We know California is important. Um, I think Malik Murphy will be a gateway to, to California for Texas. But uh, getting a defensive recruit from that state, I think, says a lot as well, um, especially given the competition that uh, that Texas had in this recruitment. And, and the beauty of it, and, and this will come up over the next three weeks, the beauty of it is that he's already signed. Um, there's not a whole lot of drama here. There was There's a silent signature process that these kids are starting to use with the early signing period where basically you sign, but you don't reveal it as a school because uh, you want to announce it at uh, the Under Armour game or the All-American Bowl in San Antonio. So that's where Gooden was able to commit, but then automatically be announced by by UT. So I, I like that for Texas as well. No drama there. Uh, and you secure another California at, at a minimum. Yeah. And, and I think he pairs pretty well with Brian Allen Jr. as well in the, in the class with, you know, two elite level safeties, uh, each of whom has a different skill set and can sort of help Texas solidify there on the back end. They really struggled there uh, this past year. Their, their past defense was, for lack of a better term, atrocious, uh, <laughs> despite having some talent at the corners. <laughs> uh, the safety spot was a real, real issue. Uh, well, the defense as a whole was a real, real issue. But um, there's also another kid out there who, who played in the uh, Under Armour All-American game in Orlando. 
And his name is Jacoby Matthews. We talked a little bit about him on the pod before. We've talked a little bit about him on our site. Um, he is one of the top defensive backs left that's uncommitted in the entire country. Um, he, it seems to be down to Texas, LSU, AM, and maybe someone else. If there's another one, it's, it's escaping my mind right now. But he's also going to be a major priority, another safety they can throw in there, uh, you know, improve that secondary depth. What do we need to know about Jacoby Matthews? That's going to be another war. Um, like you said, many teams involved here. Uh, I think, you know, he's former LSU commit. Let, let's start there. Obviously, coaching transition in Baton Rouge. But the new staff's done a pretty good job trying to, to hold on to him. I mean, he's going to probably – take a visit to Baton Rouge. Florida's kind of the new team in the mix. Um, Corey Raymond goes um, from LSU to Florida, um, and he committed to Corey once. So naturally, the Gators are going to get a visit. He's never been to Gainesville. So, you know, I think that's an interesting dark horse in this thing. But the constants here are, are three teams, as you mentioned. It's LSU, it's AM. And it's Texas. And the Texas angle is interesting because Matthews has been a big time recruit for quite a while. You know, uh, the top safety in Louisiana is always going to be coveted by schools in, in the SEC footprint or the soon to be full SEC footprint. And uh, Matthews had relationships with a lot of Texas coaches even before they got to Texas, uh, including Steve Sarkeesian. So I think that makes it quite interesting and different um, relative to some of the other pitches that he's getting. Um, so we'll see. I mean, he, he wants to take a couple of visits. He's already taken a bunch. You know, like I said, he was coveted for a very long time. He did take a Texas official. That might have been his most recent trip. It was it was a midseason um, game weekend official visit. Um, and he's got a couple more trips left before all is said and done again florida lsu probably getting him on campus he does have more a lot of official visits but the window is very small so basically this weekend the pool opens back up uh, but then it closes at the end of january so there's basically about two weeks um for for these recruits to make kind of last second just making sure kind of visits um but texas already hosted jacoby and i think that's why they're firmly in the mix there. It, it would be a bit of an upset, I think, if he did end up at Texas. I think LSU is the safest pick there, uh, even though they had a coaching change. Uh, but he's a kid who I do believe is still wanting to make sure. Uh, I don't think he's a kid who is ready to go for one school and he's just waiting until February to make that call public. I do think there is some wiggle room here. And as long as that's the case, I think Texas will be, like I said, one, one of the two or three teams really in the middle of the race. Um, and you can see why. This is the opposite of what we talked about with Larry Turner Gooden. This is more of a longer, athletic, pass-first kind of safety. Former quarterback, understands passing concepts. So the, the complete opposite would be a great compliment to a guy like Larry Turner Gooden. So you could understand why Texas, even though it's got a huge class and the numbers are pretty tight, will pretty much have a spot for Jacoby Matthews, I would say, regardless of, of what happens uh, the rest of the way. Yeah, and, um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll quickly transition into this next recruit in a minute, but um, I think it's important that 
as we as we talk about these kids before we get into the next one that we sort of put a little bit of perspective on this whole thing even if texas doesn't get uh jacoby matthews or the next kid we're going to talk about here in a second there this 2022 class was beyond expectation already uh you have it ranked for sports illustrated as a top five class i'm pretty sure it's universally through all recruiting services a top five class if not it's very close because they've hit not only positions of need, which I know is a big thing for, for your rankings. And, and, you know, it's, it's not so much quantity it's hitting, um, hitting the right kids for your program. And that plays a plays a factor into it, but also, I mean, they're getting some elite kids. They've got one of the best offensive line recruit recruiting classes in recent memory for certainly for them, maybe in the country. Um, and, you know, Jacoby Matthews would be a nice get, but they've already got the two safeties in the class. Um, they've already got Jalen Gilbo at corner, so they're making that secondary depth happen. And it, it's really just important to keep that in mind when you're going into this February signing day because most of your job is already done. So you just need to close, hopefully close on these last couple kids. And if you get them, great. If not, then, you know, you move on with a good class still. But um, – and that leads me into the, to, to our next our next kid, and we've talked about him extensively on this podcast. So I don't really need a scouting report for you on this one. More of a read on on how you think his recruitment's going. Um, and that's Devin Campbell, um, arguably the best offensive lineman in the country for the twenty twenty two class. He's down to Texas and Oklahoma um, for a long time. It's been sort of not understood, but it's, it's, he's, he's been sort of a Texas lean in, in most people's eyes for a long time. Uh, but Oklahoma is right there. And there has been some smoke that, you know, Oklahoma could be inching a little bit closer in this thing. How do you see this thing playing out in the end? It's a good point. I, look, this has been Texas's race to lose for quite some time. Right. I mean, I think um, if there's a more underappreciated position coach than Kyle flood, nationally like point them out um but this o-line class is crazy right you already mentioned the volume but also the quality at the top um and if kyle flood and company can secure devin campbell it becomes that much stronger this is uh a kid who can play legitimately all five offensive line positions he's a texan he's an arlington kid uh so naturally it's it's a red river recruitment and while Texas has been the perceived leader for some time, Oklahoma has been right there. And I think the key for the Sooners was retaining Bill Beanball, the offensive line coach. There was an initial report that he was one of the billion coaches that was just going to go to USC with, with Lincoln Riley, but lo and behold, he stuck around. And I think that was, that was really the key with, with Devin Campbell when, when, when Lincoln took that job, it was like pencil, pencil Campbell to Texas because beating ball was one of his best recruiters, all of these things. Um, but when he decided to stay, I think that kind of perked everyone's ears up in the O-line world. Cause he's one of the best um, in the country in terms of recruiting and developing offensive linemen, totally different scheme at Oklahoma now with Jeff Levy coming in. Um, to run that offense. So I don't know how much that changes the presentation to a Devin Campbell. But like I said earlier, I know you didn't want to scout a report, but if you can play all five offensive line positions, who gives a damn what the scheme is 
uh, because you can fit somewhere if you're that if you're that polished, that technically sound, that athletic, that's six three, six four, just over three hundred pounds, and he carries it very, very well. So I don't think positionally or schematically there's a different sell coming from Oklahoma. Like I don't think that's going to be a big factor in the end. But I do think Texas had a large lead here. So there's no doubt Oklahoma's cut into it with beating ball sticking around. The question is, of course, how much Oklahoma has uh, cut into it. You know, there is a sense that OU, like Texas, as they prepare for the SEC, is going to be more SEC-like, more emphasis in the trenches, uh, more of an attitude type of program up front. And then you hire a defensive head coach and Brent Venables, and you expect even more of that from the Oklahoma side. But Texas was already making those moves a year prior in hiring Steve Sarkeesian and the aforementioned Kyle Flood on the O-line. So I, I don't think, while it's different, I don't think it is too stark of a difference to pull him one way. So I'm still expecting Texas here. I think he's been the longtime crown jewel of the O-line group. Remember, I mean, for the longest stretch of time here, like Kelvin Banks, who's, of course, you know, for us, the number one offensive lineman in Texas, he was rock solid to Oregon before all the smoke of those changes. So while Texas was recruiting him and obviously got him in the end, it's not like this was the perceived crown jewel. Campbell, on the other hand, was always that perceived player for Texas. So in terms of the longevity of the recruitment, the consistency, and now probably hearing from some of those other O-linemen in this massive class, all of those things I think will help Texas hold off Oklahoma in the end and, and lock in, like you said, a top four class for us at Sports Illustrated. I know Texas and Ohio State have both recently got commits, so it's kind of a back and forth there. But obviously you lock in a, a Devin Campbell, you're going to bump up even more. So if it wasn't uh, an, a ridiculously historic year for a and Georgia and Alabama, Texas would start to become uh, a candidate in another cycle for that number one class. I think that's how good this position group is in particular. And Campbell being the finishing piece would be about as ideal as it gets for a team that, again, on both sides of the ball, really needs that attitude adjustment. Yeah. And speaking of the AM class, we'll touch on that real quick. That's this is probably, I know this is a Longhorns podcast. So I won't make your ears bleed too much, but what what is going on down there i mean they, is there something in the water i mean this is they have put together what might be one of the best recruiting classes in history and they're not done <laughs> jacoby matthews somehow, could go to a and harold, harold perkins amari abor could still flip you know shamar stewart shamar stewart still on the board so they could get four more top tier guys at least <laughs> and uh, it's it's insane what's going on down there and, and you know good for them they you know, they, um, they've, they've certainly done a hell of a job on the recruiting trail this past year, but yeah, it's, it's, it's not look, I mean, the NIL stuff is out there. Everybody understands the resources A&M has. And look, once that playing field is leveled, it's, it's going to, I assume shift back to normal, but you got to look at this class with the defensive stars in it. And there shouldn't be a lot of surprise there because AM's defense has been really good for a long time. They continue to churn out top picks. Um, DeMarvin Leal will be another one this year. Um, that isn't a surprise. What's crazy is the offensive side of the ball, Evan Stewart and those guys, Chris Marshall ending up at AM. I think that's where 
you start to say, what is going on here? That coupled with going into Tennessee and pulling Walter Nolan out for anybody, that was going to be a very big deal, regardless of position. So doing all that in the same cycle is is quite historic. But uh, I think Texas A&M caught lightning in a bottle. They beat Bama on the field and everything started to line up in recruiting after that. So it wasn't just the NIL stuff. They do have a lot of continuity under Jimbo Fisher in terms of uh, stability, which is a big deal after this crazy coaching carousel. Everybody wants that stability because a lot of these kids are are kind of signing on the dotted line knowing, hey, these coaches I'm signing with, I'm not going to have them in a year or two. Um, and this year was was the reminder of how volatile the market could be in college football. So I do think the stability there coupled with Bama and some big time famous, really famous recruits, right? Walter Nolan, Evan Stewart. These are like famous people beyond recruiting. Um, it's not Arch Manning levels, but when you have well-known guys on board, it just helps you bring on that next tier of recruit um, and, and peer recruiting. Bobby Taylor deserves credit there too has become such a big deal because of COVID. Like COVID created that elite peer recruiter and AM did a really good job with their foundation before they beat Bama and everything went really crazy on, on the trail there. Yeah, it's 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 certainly something to to watch going forward because if this thing gets any any bigger for them, it's gonna be I don't know if there's gonna be a recruiting class that matches up to it anytime soon after that. But recruiting is not the only way to improve your team. As we all well know, um, you can also use the transfer portal. Uh, and Texas is in search for some guys. Most recently, the big news is Mario Williams, uh, former Oklahoma receiver now. Um, he entered the transfer portal. I, I don't know if it was before or after Caleb Williams entered the portal. but I think it was the same day. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it seems like they, they kind of had the same idea there. Early money is on USC, but he was in Austin. He Actually, I think he is in Austin as we record this. He, he got there either yesterday or I'm pretty sure it was yesterday or the day before, but he is in Austin as we, as we speak. Um, he didn't see the field a whole lot for Oklahoma this past year, but he did get on and he did make some plays when he was given the opportunity. And I know that you were pretty high on him last year when he was coming out. Um, what What is your feeling on – the Mario Williams situation for Texas, do they have a, a real shot there and how could he fit into the offense? Well, this is a huge need. I'll start there um, for Texas. This is a huge need. We talked about the fluctuation during the season. We talked about the fluctuation um, of the wide receiver room, right? With, with the initial injury and then Josh Moore stuff and the drama there, the breakout of Xavier Worthy, all of that. I mean, it's like, Texas was never at full strength at, at wide receiver. And once Worthy broke out, there was not a lot pulling defenses elsewhere. And the way you normally do that is with tight ends and slot receivers. And Mario Williams was the number one slot receiver in the country coming out of high school last year. As you mentioned, he did flash here and there at Oklahoma as a true freshman in what was probably a more talented receiver room, at least initially. Um, going into to the 2021 season. So he did work his way up a talented depth chart. Uh, but this kid's a playmaker. He's polished. I, I liken him to T.Y. Hilton of, of the Indianapolis Colts. I just think he's a slot receiver who could give you outside wide receiver 
production. Uh, he's used to being the center of attention. He's excellent after the catch, but polish before the catch is what makes him go. He's he's fast, not a burner. I mean, he's not he's not Evan Stewart or Xavier Worthy, but he's fast out of the slot. Uh, he's quicker than fast. So he as a slot receiver, which is why we projected him there. He really gives defenders problems. He's much too quick for linebackers and, and for um, qu- too quick for linebackers, excuse me. And he's polished enough to beat very good defensive backs. Um, so I, I'm a big fan of, of Mario, really good after the catch and a good kid too, willing blocker, good teammate, all of those things, uh, which is important in, in any spread offense. You need receivers who can block well. Um, so, so the, the need is there for Texas. Um, the talent is there for Mario. And, and I think that's why he's going to be so coveted. As you said, USC, if, and when the Caleb Williams domino drops will be kind of the transfer destination, but it doesn't take a rocket scientist to look at what Texas is doing, bringing in Quinn Ewers and, you know, offensively coming off of a good year, despite a lack of talent in that wide receiver room in terms of depth, you know, it's easy to sell that if you're Steve Sarkeesian um, and then you throw in years past resume, NFL, blah, blah, blah. It's easy to sell. So I could see why Mario is, is taking this visit and look, you know, he's a kid from Tampa. So the, the red river rivalry don't mean, you know, what to him. So it's, it's not weird or awkward or, any of that stuff. I mean, he, he's never lived it except for the game that he played, which was obviously a game nobody will forget. But other than that, it didn't really mean a whole lot uh, to, to a kid from, from Plant City, Florida. Uh, check out the Strawberry Festival if you're in the area. So uh, I, I think this makes a lot of sense for both sides, but um, obviously USC is going to sell an entire rebuild. I mean, they've got about a billion spots open. So you could understand maybe even without Caleb Williams, why USC would be attractive, but um, they've only got one scholarship quarterback and his name is not Quinn Ewers. So today, Texas is a better landing spot than USC, but obviously uh, we're expecting that to change here in the next uh, week or so. So you mentioned, and I want to touch on this briefly, that he, that, you know, the, the Red River rivalry doesn't really mean anything to him because he only lived it once and he's not from the state or from either state. And you know what else? you can throw in there with that is, is he saw what Xavier worthy did in that game in Sark's system. Right. And he's like, Oh, I could do that. Maybe not exactly the same stuff, but I can see where I fit in there. He saw what Jordan Whittington did, who, who is going to be back next year. But what Sark is doing on offense is extremely appealing to wide receivers. And it has been for a long time. Just ask Devonte Smith, every other guy that went through Alabama during that time, they, uh, they thrived with, with Sarkeesian. So, um, it's 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 no secret that receivers are going to be looking his way when it comes to the portal. And before we move on to our next topic, or our, our next couple of kids here that are in the transfer portal that just went in the other day, I, I, I was curious, and that you can do a quick answer on this if you want. Quinn Ewers reclassified to the 2021 class and enrolled at Ohio State. I didn't, I didn't get ever get a chance to ask you this. I don't think. Where does he rank in relation to Caleb Williams in that class if they both are through in the 21, 2021 class the entire way together, in your opinion? Oh, that's a great question. You know, we had – so we had Ewers number two in the 22 class behind Kate Klubnik, but it was incredibly close. 
And it was one of those situations where we got to see them go head to head, not only for a state title, but on the field multiple times thereafter. And they're so different. Um, you know, Ewers, big arm, good athlete, uh, generational arm, I should say, confident, um, big, physical. And Klubnik is like Drew Brees, right? He's, he's you know, longer, leaner, just a point guard out there who's going to not make mistakes. He's going to distribute the football well, play accurate, and, and be a good athlete. Um, but with Caleb Williams as the comparison, there's a lot more similarities to me with him and, and Quinn. I think, I think Caleb is a bit more technically sound from a mechanical standpoint. And obviously the athleticism, Ewers is a good athlete. Caleb is, is, you know, could probably play another position if, if he needed to. Um, but in terms of the arm talent, the frame, Caleb's not the biggest kid in the world. Uh, Quinn's got him. So it would have been razor thin. I think they probably would have been one, two in the country, not just at quarterback. And it was, it would probably have been one of those where Caleb opens up as number one, um, because all things even were probably going to break towards the better athlete, but both of these guys so technically sound lifetime quarterbacks, quarterback trainers, families with resources to to help them travel all the QB retreats and all that stuff that's become its own business is virtually the same with both of them so it would have been a tough decision it it, it reminds me a bit of Bryce Young and DJ Uyangalale a couple years ago where it was it was touch and go for a long time there Um, some people gave DJ the benefit of the doubt because he finally beat Bryce his senior year we stuck with Bryce because of the long term. Um, so from that perspective, it probably would have been Quinn because, you know, Caleb lost the one year of co- because of COVID because he, he's from D.C. and they never made up that 2020 season. So Quinn would have had a little bit more experience. Um, so it would have been, man, it would have been so close. But that tells you a lot, right? It tells you a lot that it would have been a conversation because without Quinn Ewers in that class for 99.9% of that year, we never talked about moving Caleb Williams off of one. We never got that indication that, Hey, this player X here is a real threat to Caleb. It was, it was kind of always about him, um, which is what Ewers had for the bulk of his recruitment um, in the 22 class. So, so similar uh, it, it would have really been hard to make that final call. I think we would, like I said, we would have opened up with Caleb, but we could have seen Quinn overtake him there at the end. Yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be interesting to watch going forward. You know, uh, obviously Caleb's not going to be at Oklahoma anymore. I think that's pretty clear at this point. That um, would have been perfect for that argument, right? Just have <laughs> right. them play each other every year. They go one, two in the draft. I mean, it would have been this whole thing, but yeah, yeah. Not, not quite. I mean, you know, maybe they can match up in a bowl later down the line or if, if Caleb ends up in the SEC, which, you know, Spencer Rattler just did, um, you know, perhaps we could we could see that happen before too long. But um, let's move on to these next couple of guys in the transfer portal, um, both from the SEC, uh, both from Alabama, two different sides of the ball, though. Linebacker Drew Sanders former big-time recruit out of Texas. I believe it was Denton Ryan, if I'm not mistaken, uh, major linebacker recruit there. And Jaleel Billingsley, former Alabama tight end, was recruited heavily by Jeff Banks. 
both guys enter the portal among, I think, some other Alabama players as well. Uh, where Texas is being mentioned in, in conversation with both of these guys for different reasons, but, but do you think that they are legitimate targets, and can Texas get in, in the conversation with one or both of these guys? I think Texas should. I mean, we just talked about – I'll start with Billingsley. We talked about this with Mario Williams. The way you counter defensive attention to your star wide receiver, Xavier Worthy, is with depth at wide receiver in the slot or tight end. And we didn't see Texas play dynamic football at that position uh, really even since before Steve Sarkeesian got there. Uh, and, and Billingsley, while he is lacking some consistency, you know, 2020, huge numbers under Sarkeesian, by the way, huge numbers as a hybrid tight end receiver and then this year he starts in the doghouse but in that national title game really you you saw some of it right you you saw the potential there now he dropped some passes and he's not the best blocker in the world which I think was part of the reason why he's in the doghouse but you see the talent because he's a mismatch guy 6'4 I don't know 230 or so um, he could be that slot receiver tight end type that keeps some attention away from from worthy um it keeps some attention away from the backfield which is obviously going to be uh, you know the major focal point of, of a steve sarkeesian offense so i think from a fit perspective it, it works there's familiarity there obviously billingsley you know after after sark's 2020 run for that crazy you know alabama team Billingsley was like a projected first rounder coming out after this year, assuming he duplicated or came close to that type of production. So there's obvious connections there. You mentioned Jeff Banks who recruited tight ends for Alabama. So you've got a ton of connections with Billingsley. We've already seen them pull former Alabama players and Billingsley would make a lot of sense. And again, we talk about the impact of peer recruits. Don't, don't, underestimate that in the portal we just talked about Quinn Ewers' talent everybody knows this will be Quinn's show sooner rather than later and in the business of college football which is becoming important right Caleb and Quinn those are number one and two in the class and probably number one and two NIL next year the business of football is smart to surround yourself with those guys that's why when Caleb picks his school a bunch of kids are going to transfer there and that's why I'm still expecting kids to want to play at Texas with Quinn Ewers for these next two years, uh, because it's going to be good business. You're going to be on television. You're going to be talked about. So if you make plays, all that stuff takes care of itself. So I think there's so many arrows pointing up for Texas with offensive recruits in general, but especially those in the portal, throw in the experience with those coaches, and it makes a lot of sense. And then when it comes to Sanders, a little bit of a different situation. Oklahoma commit for the longest time in high school ends up, you know, basically flipping to Alabama. But some of these Texas coaches were, were part of the reasons why. I believe Banks was in on his recruitment as well. So there's even a bigger need on that side of the ball because Sanders is a hybrid. He's a guy who can rush the passer from, from the edge as a stand-up player, which was something that Texas really wasn't great at on defense in 2021. Uh, but he also has the frame to to play traditional linebacker. I think he could sit back there and replace uh, a Brockermeyer as a true three-down linebacker who can cover a little bit. He's that type of athlete. Played a ton of offense in high school. He was a running back, a tight end. 
Uh, this is a football player. He just got hurt. I mean, he was starting at Bama and he got hurt this past year. And then at a school like Bama, you know, this happens. The kid who comes in to replace him is a true freshman SI 99 recruit. And he has like 10 and a half sacks and helps them to a, a national title game appearance. So obviously Sanders wasn't going to get back on the field. It's just one of the casualties of playing at a school like Bama. So he's got a ton of eligibility left. He's a versatile defensive recruit. He's from Texas. That one makes a lot of sense in terms of a true fresh start as to where Billingsley makes sense because of the familiarity where it's like, hey, let's pick up where we left off in 2020 because my 2021 was rough. Let's just pick it up and forget it happened. With, with Sanders, it's a total reset. Like, I need to start over. So I'm, I'm thinking the transition at Oklahoma probably helps with Texas here because the coaches he initially committed to are obviously – for the most part, at, at Southern Cal or, or somewhere else at this point. So it just happened. It's very new, but it, you can make the argument that Texas makes sense for both players. Yeah, and, and especially in, in the case of Sanders, you look at the production that Texas had at the linebacker position and this past season, and it, it was a big issue. Um, there's no doubt about it. Luke Brockermeyer did an admirable job, uh, but he is not the athlete that Sanders is. Um, they need athletes there. They need guys that can run sideline to sideline, get after the passer. Um, you know, you <laughs> it's 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 not the perfect comparison, but you know, you kind of look at what Micah Parsons does for the Dallas Cowboys, where he can play all over the field if you need him to. He can play middle linebacker. He can control the middle of the field. He can rush the passer. He can even play defensive end. And it sort of seems to me like. Sanders could be a similar type guy in, in that sense where he could they could just make him do a multitude of things and get Smart. him on the field and, and get him going in um, in a lot of different ways to help that defense that really needs help all across the board, whether it's on the defensive line, the linebackers, the secondary. And um, that and could he's be bigger. something to watch. He's bigger than Parsons. So you could actually, in theory, you can bulk him up 20 pounds and he can play permanently on the edge on the defensive front with his hand in the dirt, even if you needed him to, I don't think that's where he's best, but you could do it if you need the bodies there too. So you have a lot of physical options with the Drew Sanders. And again, he's a young guy coming off an injury. So he's got eligibility left, I believe three years because of the COVID year. So, I mean, there's just, there's a lot to sell there. And this was a big time recruit two years ago, big, big time recruit that was, it was kind of a surprise that he ended up leaving Oklahoma for Alabama. Um, that was a huge recruiting victory that, again, some of these Texas coaches played a part in. Yeah, and, you know, there, there's some more news on the defensive side of the ball potentially for Texas as well that, you know, for all we know, could impact the decision of Sanders. And that is, you know, obviously the, the biggest news out of the weekend, we kind of we saved the best for last, was that former TCU coach Gary Patterson has visited Steve Sarkeesian and the rest of the coaching staff and you know in Austin and they're starting to think that there is a there's there's rumors flying around that there is a position there for Patterson if he wants it um that you know on the uh University of Texas job posting site there was a a a job created for the football program called a special assistant to the head coach right around the same time that um that Patterson you know uh took his visit to Austin so that's a very interesting thing to watch. So, you know, there, there are, uh, 
various different reports on whether or not, you know, this could happen quickly or what's going on. We're still trying to figure out a lot of that out, but let's say Patterson does end up in Austin. Um, what does that mean for the program and, and, and how does it change things in your opinion? Well, this is, it's kind of unprecedented, right? I mean, this is a long time, you know, the longest tenured big 12 head coach, uh, after Bill Snyder uh, retired a couple years back, uh, just an institution in the state of Texas, in the Dallas area, which is always, always, always important for Texas football. So there's there's a respect that it, it immediately creates. Uh, and I think from, from a recruiting perspective, it's just especially on defense, which, again, is really the focus here. It's the trenches and defense. It just brings you a higher level of the benefit of the doubt, which is so important perceptionally in recruiting. And, and for Sarkeesian, heck, I mean, it helps you on the field. It helps you build uh, what, what you want at Texas. I mean, Gary, Gary is one of the more respected coaches and recruiters in the game. And when you're selling certain positions and, and the secondary is the first that comes to mind under Gary Patterson, you're also selling a developmental angle that, he was able to create because TCU, you know, it, it, it was not on the top tier. So recruiting wise, they had to develop. They had to become like an Iowa, like a Wisconsin, uh, like a Washington, where their NFL talent be, was was fostered. It wasn't just plucked the, the way that, you know, Ohio State and Bama and USC can, can normally do. So I think it creates a nice balance at Texas, because now you're, now you've got a developer, you've got someone who's kind of seen everything in, in, in college football um, and a college football lifer at that. So there's, there's so many benefits to that. Um, now, whether or not the role is an on-field role and how that plays out, we'll see. It doesn't mean Gary Patterson's, you know, going to hit the road recruiting, but he'll be there in Austin. Um, he'll be there in Austin for these official visit weekends um, and, and he'll be able to help maybe close uh, some recruits that are, are kind of on the fence. Uh, again, particularly on defense, I see it as a massive get or potential get for Texas. Uh, and again, that's, that's where you need it. Right. I mean, this Texas team disappointed. I think everybody understands that, but looking at the offense, looking at the numbers, looking at the production with with subpar quarterback play, let's be honest here, and, and a fluctuating quarterback room, when you start to look at those things, you say, man, that offense was still pretty darn good. Um, so the help, the, the, the changes should start on the defensive side of the ball at every level. So it means talent acquisition. It means developing that talent. And coaching and Gary Patterson can help in all of those areas uh, individually and, and certainly collectively. Yeah. And, you know, he's arguably in the last, you know, 20 years or so, he's arguably the best defensive mind that's been in college football, along with Nick Saban, Kirby Smart, you know, a couple other guys here and there, Pete Carroll. Um, but getting a guy with that kind of experience and pairing him up with a guy who has a scheme like Pete Kwiatkowski or, you know, 
helping Sark on a day-to-day basis with certain things, it, it, it would just be invaluable. Um, there are so many things that the Texas program in, in, at large could learn from Patterson. And, you know, re- reports seem to indicate that Patterson's role will be off-field. It will be as an analyst sort of assistant type role, not, you know, coaching from the booth or on the field or anything like that. So that, you know, that's an interesting dynamic. You help obviously try to help with, uh, with game planning and scheming and developing players and things like that. But it's definitely something to watch going forward. That could be a real difference maker for, uh, for Texas, you know, in, in the coming years, if, if he, or just not even in the coming years, he, he for, for all we know, it would be a one year stop and he would be on his way to his next head coaching job. But we'll just have to keep an eye on that either way. It would make a big impact for Texas in, in 2022, but John, uh, do you have anything else before we get, before we get out of here? No, I think it, it's going to be an exciting time to watch that portal. That's uh, that's the new the new twelve month uh, recruiting uh, situation to, to track because we're we're getting an influx now that the season is fully completed. We're going to get another one after signing day, and then we're going to get another one as spring practice starts to ramp up and 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 conclude here in the next few months. So yeah, uh, the portal as as it's currently constructed is is here to kind of wreck or make college football, depending on, on what team you root for. So keep an eye on it. You already had the, the biggest splash to date in the portal. And I think Texas fans should expect a lot more to come. Yeah. And, uh, you know, oh, before we get out of here, I guess I should, I should also let you plug yourself. Uh, tell everybody where they can find you on Twitter. Yeah, it's just John Garcia underscore uh, Jr. Uh, and at SI All American on all social media as well. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Longhorns Country Podcast. Make sure to like, rate, and subscribe on all your favorite platforms and check out longhornscountry.com for all your latest news, analysis, and basically everything you need to know about the Texas Longhorns. And we will see you next yes, time. Sir. Bye. 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 Bye.